Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Corey Tyree to the show. Corey Tyree is the co-founder and CEO of Trillium Renewable Chemicals. He raised $16 million in financing from venture, strategic, and government sources in the company's first 18 months. He built an experienced team and secured partnerships with Solvay, Hyosung, Helm, and others. He started his career as a chemical plant operator and went on to serve in various roles in engineering, plant management, and executive leadership. He holds a BS and PhD in chemical engineering. Corey, how are you doing today? Great, Raj. Thanks for having me. Corey, thank you for joining. Corey, I'd like to dig right in with something interesting that you'd like to share during the show. And you were kind enough to share that you got a C in fifth grade science and you're still bitter about it. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, you you were asking me for some some interesting things about myself. And for some reason that popped in my mind, you know, I'm now the CEO of a chemical startup company and we do do a lot of science and technology. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still bitter about the fact that I did get a C in fifth grade science, Raj. And I got to tell you, I think I, I'm honestly, I was a pretty good student. And um, I don't know how I got a C in fifth grade science. I think I didn't turn in an assignment according to the teacher and just incredibly bitter about that years later. <laughs> well, I don't want to escape the fact that you went on to get a PhD. You know, yeah, I, uh, I, I rebounded from that early failure and uh, was quite a good student um, through school and was really interested in the science and the technology piece and did end up pursuing a PhD in chemical engineering. So you mentioned it sounds like there's a little bit of baked in resilience there. Tell me about that. Yeah. I, you know, I, what's the old saying that, you know, failures are a great way to learn, you know, I, I although this is a bit of an exaggeration, but getting a little blood in the mouth, right? It, it sort of makes you focused. You don't want to repeat that ever again. And uh, I did certainly have other failures, not just grades throughout, you know, ac my academic studies. And uh, I, I was someone that always got better. I think I was a, a better student in graduate school than I was in undergrad and probably when I was in high school. And and I would agree with you that maybe it wasn't the biggest failure, but I think, and I'm saying this from experience of being a parent, I think you can start to notice trends or character traits very, very early. I have three daughters and I noticed different character traits and as they've kind of gone through life, now they're a little bit older, they're 14, 13, and 10. But I've noticed that, for example, my oldest one, diligence is a big one for her and she's had that since she was you know, little, young, I mean, three, four years old. And so your point about maybe the C may not have been a big deal then, but I think it's a, a representation of the bigger picture of 
where you've actually come. You know, you mentioned company earlier. Let's dig into the company. You're the CEO of Trillium Renewable Chemicals. Can you explain and share what Trillium does? Yeah, so we're a Series A startup, and we're scaling up a new chemical process technology. Basically, we plan to manufacture chemicals. And, you know, like a lot of hard tech companies, it's a long road to get here. You know, the company formed in February 2021, but the reality was the development of the technology started in 2014. So I've been with this almost from the very beginning. And, you know, we're, we're nine years into this. And I would say that's, that's probably pretty typical for these kinds of technologies. There's a lot of work required to de-risk the technology and get it to a point where we can make the chemical and sell it. So why chemicals? What's important? What don't we know? Yeah, you know, um, I've been involved in the energy industry, the chemical industry, and I just, I think there's a lot of similarities there. And one, I, you know, ha, why am I here? Why did truly inform? I'm generally interested in industry, love working in industry, did it my entire career. And I think there's uh, a lot of interest in sustainable chemicals. In fact, I think there's more interest than there are solutions for sustainable chemicals. And, and the investors in Trillium, myself, sensed an opportunity to capitalize on that opportunity. Uh, our plan is to make a green drop-in chemical. In other words, this is a chemical. It's not new. It's been around for 50 years. There's an existing market. There's buyers all over the world. So we're not going to make a new chemical. We're going to make the same chemical, acrylonitrile, that's being made today from barrel of oil or natural gas. And we're going to make it from plant-based raw materials. And there is a lot of interest uh, in that product. And Trillium's the leader in this space. So obviously, without giving away the secret sauce, how does it work? Yeah, so the how it works part, this looks a lot like a traditional chemical plant with some key differences. One, the carbon footprint of the raw, raw material, the plant-based raw material, is lower. So by starting with a lower carbon footprint raw material and processing it using sort of traditional chemical processing techniques, you can combine the benefit of the lower carbon footprint raw material with the outstanding performance, the yields, the high efficiencies associated with traditional chemical processing. The end result is a, a product that can meet customer specifications and has the feature of a lower carbon footprint. So what kind of feedstock do you use? What kind of plants? Yeah, so our raw material is glycerin. And glycerin is made, depending on where you're at in the world, in the U.S., it's predominantly soybean oil, or soy. so the crop is a soybean. In the European Union, it's predominantly rapeseed oil. And in Asia, it's palm oil. And once your chemical blocks are made, what can they be used for? Yeah, these building blocks are fascinating. I mean, they're, Raj, they're used all over the place. You've got yours, uh, got acrylonitrile products all over your house and car. I'll give you some examples. So Lego bricks are made from ABS plastic. The A in ABS stands for acrylonitrile. So a certain mass of that Lego toy brick is made from acrylonitrile. But that's just one small application. You've got others like carbon fiber. It takes two kilo kilograms of acrylo to make one kilogram of carbon fiber. And so you can imagine this is used in aerospace parts, automotive parts, 
uh, windmills, a whole wide range of, of uh, product applications there. Acrylic fiber, so sweaters, blankets, sun umbrellas. The only raw material used to make acrylic fiber is acrylonitrile. And there's many other applications, but it, it's, it's got a lot of fascinating product applications. So tell me about the road to commercialization. You started 2014-ish. You mentioned 2021, I believe, February is when the company formed. But what does that road to commercialization from, let's say, bench or lab look like? Yeah. So, you know, the funny thing is, Raj, is when we talk about the roadmap for this kind of technology, if we if we talk about the roadmap to, I think, traditional financial investors, it's, wow, Corey, this is this is a really long timeline. If you talk about it to sort of industry insiders, people familiar with chemicals or energy, their reaction is, wow, that seems aggressive to me. <laughs> right. So you never you never know. But look, I, Here's the thing with this hard tech scale up, right? There, there are rules and they exist for a reason and Trillium's not special. We don't get to break the golden rules of technology development. And those rules I see as you start in the lab, um, you try to minimize cost, show that the technology's got viability. You then move from lab to pilot. Pilot is where you really start to try to operate the technology as a process, as a whole and show that it can work in industrial conditions. And then the next step is a pre-commercial demonstration phase. That's a substantial plant. You're making product, you're shipping it to customers, you're, they're using your product to make their products that make Lego bricks or carbon fiber. So you're, it's really focused on volume and qualifying as a supplier. And the fourth and final stage is commercial, where the company has built a commercial plant and is generating product and revenue from the sale of that product. So I know, you know, you mentioned customer and sometimes large customers, although they can be dream customers, they're often reticent to try new things just because of the commitment it takes on their end. What did the conversation look like when you were speaking to your early adopter customers? Yeah, that's a good question. We think a lot about this and think about, you know, what is the profile of the ideal customer? You're, you're right that uh, some customers may be reticent, and there's a number of reasons why they could be, right? It could be they're the number one player. It could be that they view their product specification as very challenging to meet and bringing a new product. Even if it's supposed to be the same, it's still a different process. They may just see that as a major challenge. Um, but, you know, the, the customers that we look for um, and really try to prioritize, I would say that they tend to give themselves away in the first few phone calls. And, and by that, I mean, you know, what are the signs that this, this is the right customer? One, I would say senior executive involvement. This is not just um, a, a partnership that's a road to nowhere. This has got serious executive backing. It's part of a corporate wide strategy, for example, a sustainability strategy. So we like to see that there's a strategic fit. That's one. We also like to see that there's in market pool for the sustainable um, building block. And I think that tends to give itself away right away. You can look at the different molecule, uh, the different products, and you can look at the life cycle analysis. And it's really easy to see some of these products ha have a life cycle analysis that show the problem really exists in one spot. The problem is the raw material. The only way to achieve a sustainable product is to use a green acrylo product, right? If you're going to do anything of all the options, right? Change your 
retail stores to LED light bulbs, employees ride bicycles to work, what would you do? You would change your Crillo. And you can see that in the life cycle analysis. So it's pretty clear in, in a lot of cases that Trillium has the solution to the customer's problem. Now, quite often, starting a company, moving a company forward, fundraising is involved. Sometimes you get into the chicken and egg conversation when you're looking for funding regarding, do you have an LOI in place? Do you have funding in place? And it kind of goes round and round in circles. You mentioned you're a Series A company. What did the road to getting investors look like? Yeah. You know, I got to say, Raj, this one, this is an area where I had a lot of lessons learned. And, you know, the, the truth was, and I knew this going into this job that, Raj, I'd never raised $1 of venture capital before I started this job. And I knew that was sort of the, the, the knock on me personally, right? Is this guy going to be able to raise the money? And I think uh, I enjoyed that challenge. I, I wanted to, you know, one, I wanted to show that I could do it. And, but I'll admit that I wasn't great at it when we first started. Uh, and you, and your, your point about getting the sequence of these events correct is one of those lessons learned. I think I went out there and tries, tried to raise money right away because I was so you know ambitious and I knew this was critical. We had to do it. And what I wish I would have done is there was a couple things. And for example, you mentioned the letter of intent with the customer. There were a couple of things that had I done that first, it would have really strengthened our fundraising pitch and fundraising efforts. And so one of the lessons learned is that um, about 10 months into this, we signed a letter of intent with our longtime partner, Solve. Solve is one of the world's largest chemical producers. They're top three in a whole number of chemical segments. And they had been... Raj, they have been a partner with us since 2014. Great partner. And we went to them with the idea to sign a letter of intent for an offtake agreement. We got it done. They've always been a great part, partner, supported it. I totally underestimated when When that press release went out, that was an absolute game changer for Trillium's fundraising efforts. And so it's things like that that had we really sort of started stacking these various achievements, technology achievement, key hires with key partnerships. When all those were lined up together, our fundraising momentum totally changed. So it sounded like the interest went from outbound efforts to inbound calls. That's exactly right. It went from feeling like I was really having to sort of really work to get the phone calls, the meetings, the conference presentation slots to the tables turned. You start getting the invitations, the the inquiries start coming in. It, it gave us liftoff. And staying with fundraising for a moment, if you were to perhaps share, we talked about the LOI one, which might now seem apparent in hindsight, but if you were to share, let's say, advice, specifically when it comes to hard tech and fundraising, what piece of advice would you give a company or an entrepreneur looking to go down that road? Yeah, you know, I number one is I think there's a lot of fundraising advice that simply does not apply to hard tech startups. You know, I think there's, you know, I'll give you an example. There's this view that strategic investors or corporate partners are somehow bad. And that that may be true. I don't know in the IT world or software, but I think for hard tech, it's the exact opposite. I think the big corporate strategic investors are great. I think they're great for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, when you go talk to them about what you do, it's just 
Yep, yep, yep. Understand. They get it. You know, we're talking about acrylonitrile. This isn't something that, you know, is that familiar to consumers or the general public. And so when people hear this story in the corporate world and this in this chemical segment that I work in, they get it right. And they can just fast forward the conversation to this is how it fits for us. So I think finding the right investor, an investor who understands the hard tech technology that you're selling and pitching is is key. And we figured that out. But I got to say, I mean, my my fundraising effort was pretty inefficient because I think I initially targeted the wrong type of investor profile. So that's that's definitely one. I would say two is um, what really what we talked about earlier, getting all the things that you need uh, stacked up together, the people, the technology, the the progress with customers, getting that all those ducks in a row, so to speak, so that when you do go pitch the right investor, it's a productive conversation and you, and you don't go too early. So I would say that was another lesson learned. Now, I know you probably have this slide tucked away in your pitch deck somewhere, but for those listening, if you can just paint a picture real quick about just the size of this market so they can get an idea. Yeah. So this is a 6 million ton a year market total value of $15 billion. The number one player in this market is Enios and they own about 15 to 20% market share. It's one of the biggest chemical uh, segments in the world. So I can understand what kept you going, perhaps the market size, but what else drives you? Yeah. You know, I would say, Raj, actually, the market size, I mean, it is exciting, of course, I think, you know, because it's an existing market with a supply chain, customers, you know how much they buy, you know their spec. That's all That's all in a, advantageous to truly being successful. But I, I would say I don't know that that really motivates, motivates me. I think the couple of things that motivate me um, are one that um, – especially early Raj. Now a lot of people believe in Trillium, right? The the company, we haven't popped yet, but we have very good people. We have some money. We can show you our plant, right? We're making product. Um, But in the early days, I I was in my garage, started this company in my garage, and I can count on one hand the number of people that believed in this. And I would say that motivated me. Because I could see it, and I felt like it was in my responsibility to create other believers. And I do see that as the CEO's job. And I think that that challenge of sort of changing people's perception of this opportunity, it, it motivated me then, and it still does now. So seeing the opportunity, but let's dig a little deeper. You know, what's your why? What drives you? You know, the why for me is, I mean a sense of challenge for sure. But I think it's also important for me to to know that I'm in the right spot. And I think being at Trillium, I I feel like I'm in the right spot. I, I love working in industry. I should not be in any other part of the career world, right? I love working in industry, always have. And I got to say that, you know, I've worked for big, big Fortune 200 corporates. I've worked for some mid-sized businesses. But I, I really enjoy the people that I come across in this startup world. The investors, uh, if I get a chance to go on a long car ride with them, 
I'll pepper them with questions, asking about what what they're doing, raising funds, their other companies. So the investors, the customers, even our competitors, I really like talking to our employees. They're great. My inbox is full of sharp takes, interesting perspectives. The the people involved in this, I, I really admire. Tell me about the name Trillium. Raj, you know, engineers are good at a lot of things, but coming up with company <laughs> names is not maybe our best skill. skill. So uh, myself and the investor, we were going back and forth. We had these, you know, typical engineer right, trying to come up with acronyms that sort of describe the technology. And I'm a, I like to golf a lot, Raj. And I was golfing and there was this field of it was like a carpet of white trillium flowers when we were trying to figure out the company's name and i thought you know it's common it's abundant it's ubiquitous it's like my feedstock so there you go trillium renewable chemicals (laughs) that's a great story so there's a flower called trillium huh yeah yeah very common white flower and um you know i like the sound of it and i guess you know the real reason why we chose it it was dramatically better than all the other alternatives we came up with. That's pretty amazing. I thought it was some kind of chemical or something. Sounds like a chemical. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other aspect. It does fit. I like that. So you've been on the journey, let's call it eight years, nine years almost. What are some of the lessons you've learned about yourself? Uh, You know, I would say that um, just I think more than anything is there's – over that nine year period, you think about the number of times where, you know, maybe the result that you got wasn't positive, or maybe the reaction you got from an investor or customer wasn't positive. And I think that there's just so many opportunities where to let the cynicism, the doubt, the insecurity creep in and these these things, right? And in fact, we know this is why a lot of these projects, types of projects that are high risk do get killed in a corporate environment because there's always a reason, right? Somewhere along the way to, to give up. It's an, it's an easier choice than to keep going. And I, I think the thing that I learned about myself was that I actually like to try to keep it going. I, I tend to see things, you know, always see a way forward. And I, I think that's, I, I think that's something that I've learned about myself over the last nine years. Now, you mentioned, you know, getting killed in the corporate environment. What are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities you see right now in the renewable chemicals industry, let's say over the next decade? Yeah, no, I think that one is that there's more demand for these types of sustainable molecules than there are solutions, right? So pursuing the development of them, their long timelines, like we talked about earlier with the roadmaps. So it takes a lot of time. It's high risk. R&D spending is sort of under pressure, right? Because the ROI is not there to support that kind of high risk technology development. That's an opportunity for startups like Trillium. I think if you, not to say that corporates aren't doing something, they absolutely are. But I do think there's a lot of some of my peers, if you look at the success of Origin Materials, Soyagen, Syzygy Plasmonics, all those companies pretty new, pursuing big chemical segments similar to Trillium, And they're starting to have success. And I think that's proof that there is demand for these types of sustainable molecules. You know, you mentioned Syzygy. I had Trevor on the show back in 2019, very, very Mm -hmm. early. 
And I met up with him last November down at Greentown Labs, and they absolutely have come a long way. Yeah, I mean, they're still, I think they're pretty young. I've never met Trevor, but I did meet one of their executives. She and I pitched together at, a, at an event. And, you know, I just think their story is fascinating, right? If you, you know, t- what I remember was the idea of electrifying chemical processes, right? Where you're, you're using low, car- low carbon electricity to make molecules. And that's a great story. You know, if they can pull that off, um, that's a great fit for this future. If you believe the future is, um, uh, is one where you've got lower cost, lower carbon electricity, making chemicals from that is one way to do this. So I, I sounds like they're doing great. I read some of the press releases, um, wish them the best. They are. So nine years on your journey, you mentioned golf during our conversation, but how else, like, how do you decompress or manage stress that comes with your position? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's probably two things and I think it's, it's maybe it's kind of boring to talk about the first piece, but I see this as sort of the basics, right? The, for me, the family, the financial, you know, you're getting your financial house in order. I've got a great family, a healthy family. I got little kids. So as soon as I leave this office talking about acrylonitrile all day, I go hang out with my little guys and that'll keep you, uh, balanced. Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, getting yourself in a position where financially you can sort of pursue these higher risk endeavors. I, um, I spent a lot of time on that I'm, we're in good shape financially. And I, look, I, I know it's boring, but I think that sort of allowed me to pursue this higher risk, um, career. And so I think the basics are, are, are one aspect of it. And I think the second aspect, as you point out, you know, Raj, I got, I got a lot of time in the office and traveling and I make it a point pretty much every Saturday. I, I play around the golf. I walk 18 holes and, uh, you know, that that's, uh, crucial to my, uh, mental health. It's interesting. You mentioned boring. I often get it asked, you know, I mentioned my, my kids earlier and, I, did, I like to plan in decades. So 2020, 2021 rolled around and I told almost everyone that regarding the next decade, I just want to keep it as boring as possible. And, <laughs> and what I meant by that is, you know, no high highs, no low lows, just keeping the train, family train on the tracks one day at a time. So I understand what you mean by boring, the fundamentals in place. Yeah. A, a friend of mine refers to it as Chopping wood, right? And I, I <laughs> Fetch, there's, fetching water, chopping wood. That's it. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's underrated as a life skill. It absolutely is. Now, back to Trillium for a moment. You know, from a macro perspective, what of like a difficult decision that you had to make that paid off at Trillium? Uh, well, I think you know. One of one of the decisions I think a lot of these companies like Trillium has to make is, you know, what what do you insource, what do you outsource, and you know, oh, uh, Trillium has outsourced a significant amount of its R and D. You think about the R and D we're doing, right? It use, utilizes a lot of infrastructure. This is, you know, serious chemistry. There are safety issues. Requires control systems, steam. All utilities, uh, buildings, uh, vent, ventilation, and Trillium could have chose to go find a building with 
with some of that and then buy whatever it doesn't have, have to fill the gaps. Trillium chose to use an R&D partner, uh, AVN Corporation, to perform our R&D. They built our pilot plant for us. They staffed the uh, pilot plants operations for us. And so I think that's a, that's a crucial choice for these hard tech companies. Uh, a lot of this infrastructure, I mean, you think about, you know, something like utilities, there's no risk in that, right? I want to take my uh, risk dollars from these venture investors and use it to de-risk the technology elements that do have risk, not by control systems and steam boilers. So I, I think that's was a, is a critical decision. You see some of my peers making different decisions there, but that's that's a big one. Um, I think here's another one. I, I think this does not get talked enough about, and I think this really applies to hard tech. My belief is scaling up these chemical energy technologies. Um, you need senior people. Uh, Trillium hired a former general manager from Shell Chemicals. She runs technology development for us. We've got three former Shell chief scientists and a former Dow chemical fellow. Uh, the people designing this know how to do this. And I think this is, you've got to be willing to spend money uh, on very senior people. That's, I think that's a very different approach than you see in some of these other segments where you see, frankly, younger folks who can go do the programming that's required and may even be more familiar with the latest greatest there. And hard tech though, Making the decision to hire experienced people, who, people who can actually design the plant, that, that's going to speed things up. People ask me all the time, how do you speed this up? Hire good people, hire senior people who can do this. You know, it sounds like you're being an excellent steward of the funds raised. And I think we both know that fundraising can be a never-ending journey. When are you thinking about raising your next round? End of this year, we'll go back out and start fundraising again and with the idea of closing something by mid-2024. And, you know, I'm excited about it because, I, you know, last time we did this, you know, we're very early, right? There's not a lot of press about us. We didn't have very many employees. We'll be at a different point, I think, a much stronger point. And I think we're even at a different point from a conversation perspective. You know, we had the IRA pass last year. There's a lot of tailwinds in clean tech. And I think some of that might play into your benefit. Yeah, I, th I, I think you're right. I, I think that um, I think there's just a general sense that this Raj, what do we call this clean tech 2.0 or is it 3.0 now? <laughs> and maybe 2.0. I hear different names. <laughs> I feel like with 2.0, I think there's a general sense that this time it's not going anywhere. This we're in this for the long haul. This isn't going anywhere. And people are going to look for solutions. And I think, look, in this market, Trillium is clearly the leader. So let's fast forward. You mentioned 2024, but let's go even further. Let's say it's 2033, 2034. If Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, pick your publication, were to write perhaps a headline or short paragraph about Trillium, what would you like it to read? Yeah, man, I love this is a good question, Raj. I mean, imagining the future. This is this is the part earlier you asked me what motivates me, right? It's the sort of the challenge of and 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 of getting there and what does there look like? Look, for us, I want three plants, three um, world scale plants manufacturing acrylonitrile. And I would 
I would love for the headline to read that Knoxville, Tennessee-based Trillium captures 5% of the Acrylo market. So 5% is a really, you know, it's a smart goal, right? You've got the number really dialed in there. But again, just for the audience, because the number three might not sound like a large number. Yeah. yeah. Give, the, give the audience an idea of what it would take to get one plant in the ground and then subsequently three. Yeah. Dollars wise, the first plant in the ground, let's just call it nominally $100 million just to, to get it all done. Um, but yeah, the 5% number, it might sound sort of weak, but for the people who, if people are listening who are actually in this market, they know what that means. That means Trillium's a top five, maybe top 10 player in this, in one of the 20 largest chemical markets in the world. And if you look at the top player, Enios is close to the largest chemical company in the world. They own 15 to 20%. So 5% is substantial. Oh, and I, I agree. And how long does it, you mentioned the $100 million. How long does it take to stand up a plant? Yeah, so the, the plant would be all uh, modular construction, so built in a, a off-site and then shipped there. So that helps you with construction time. Let's just call it a year for construction and six months for commissioning, so kind of an 18-month cycle. So three plants, 10 years, 5% of the market, written in stone. That's the goal, correct? Yep. And, um, you know, if Forbes or Fortune are listening to this, we would appreciate some coverage to help us get there uh, sooner. <laughs> so last question, and you mentioned some advice earlier regarding fundraising for hard tech. Quite often we have entrepreneurs, investors, sometimes even media listen to the show. So if you could share some advice or words of wisdom, recommendations with the audience, what would it be? Oh, number one, be yourself. Don't exaggerate. I think this is, a, a frankly, a per, sort of pervasive issue in hard tech. I think people people um, fall in love with the size of the market without sort of understanding how these markets actually work. I mean, they are big. It is exciting. On the other hand, um, the these are not for the faint of heart. And I think it, you, you can be trapped into or baited into saying things that, you know, how, you know, for example, how much market share are you going to capture and how fast are you going to move? And, and I think that oftentimes uh, savvy investors, they sniff that out right away. And I think companies that are serious and, and understand this industry, you don't have to, you don't, you're not obligated to say that you're going to capture 95% of the market and be, you know, a, a $50 billion company in a few years. I, um, in fact, I think you're better off by taking a sober, more sober view and, and demonstrating that you actually do understand how these industries work. I think it'll build your credibility. So I don't fall into that trap. Well, Corey, I think taking a sober view and being yourself was a great place to end. I wish you all the best with Trillium, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you, sir. Enjoy it, Raj. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. 
And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.